sermon text for this morning is Ruth chapter 2. We read Ruth chapter 2 for our first reading, but I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open to this passage as we work our way through it this morning. We saw last week how the book of Ruth begins. It begins with sin. It begins with disobedience. We read in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now we know from Scripture that the days of the judges were the days in Israel when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what Elimelech, the father of this family did. He did what he thought was right, even even if it meant disobeying what God had commanded all of Israel. We know that God instructed Israel to have nothing to do with the Moabites. Israel was a nation uh, that was to be devoted to God, and the Moabites were completely different from Israel in that respect. They did not worship God, the one true God. They were pagans. They were idolaters. They were those who were also opposed to God's people. But Israel was a nation that was God's people. And God had provided them with the land, the land that he promised Abraham It was the place that God promised to be with his people, and Israel was to remain in the land, even even if it meant that God brought famine over the promised land. They were to stay because a famine meant that God had not forsaken his people, but he was disciplining them for their sins like a loving father. And yet we see that Elimelech chose instead to disobey God and to take his family out of the promised land and to take them into Moab. And it was there in Moab, in that spiritually dark and desolate place, we read that Elimelech died. And after his death, his two sons married Moabite women, which God strictly forbid, because there was a danger that pagan wives would turn their husbands' hearts away from the Lord. We read about this warning in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Well, at some point uh, during this family's 10 years in Moab, uh, both sons died as well. And That left Naomi, Elimelech's wife, and his two Moabite daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. We know from chapter 1 of Ruth that at that point, Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem, to return to Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, because she heard that there was again food in the promised land. There was again bread in the house of bread, we might say. But what about Ruth and Orpah? What would these two Moabite women do? 
And there's this wonderful scene in chapter 1, the scene in which Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah are standing at what we might call a fork in the road. One road leads to Moab with its pagan religions and sin and spiritual darkness. And the other road leads to Bethlehem and the promised land and to the Lord himself. See, one was the wide road that leads to destruction, the wide road that many take. The other was the narrow road that leads to life, and few find it. Well, we read that while Orpah chose Moab, Ruth chose the Lord. And we see that Ruth's decision to go to Bethlehem with Naomi was more than just a decision that she would move to a new location with her mother-in-law. It was much more than that. What we see is that it was the power of the Holy Spirit renewing her heart and mind and bringing Ruth to faith and repentance. Because listen to what Ruth said to Naomi in chapter 1. She said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Loved ones, this is faith and repentance. As she believed in the Lord and she put her trust in him, she counted the cost of discipleship, all that was involved, all the hardships that would come, going with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Bethlehem, putting her faith in the Lord. She counted the cost. By the power of the Holy Spirit, she turned from her sins into the Lord. Westminster Confession of Faith, which gives us an excellent summary of our Reformed faith, says in chapter 15, when it, in describing what repentance is, says, Repentance unto life is a gospel grace. By it, a sinner, seeing and sensing not only the danger, but also the filthiness and the hatefulness of his sins, because they are contrary to God's holy nature and to God's righteous law. He or she turns from all his sins to God in realization that God promises mercy in Christ to all those who repent. And it continues and says, and this person, the person who is saved by grace and granted the grace of repentance, so grieves for and hates his sins that he determines and endeavors to walk with God in all the ways that he commands. Ruth turned from her sins, and she turned to God. And the question now was, what kind of grace? What kind of grace would she receive from the Lord? Would she be accepted by him? Would this foreigner, this Moabite, who was not part of God's people, of God's nation, would she be accepted by the Lord? You know, this is the question that, we so often struggle with as we 
repent of our sins, be it the first time or the thousandth time. You know, when Martin Luther wrote his 95 theses over 500 years ago, you know what the first of them was? The first one was, Luther wrote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Luther said that all of the Christian life is repentance, turning from sin and trusting in the good news that Jesus saves sinners is not just a one-time experience, but it is the daily posture of the true Christian. In fact, even in our worship service, we have at the beginning of our worship a confession of sin, both public and private, followed by an assurance of pardon. Because, loved ones, the question that we so often ask is, is it not, will the Lord forgive me? Will I be accepted by him? What Ruth discovered was the marvelous grace of the Lord. She discovered what you and I experience every time we come to the Lord in repentance. She discovered his marvelous grace. And to understand the depths of this grace, what we first need to understand is how needy and how desperate Ruth and Naomi were as they were now heading back to Bethlehem. They were completely destitute. They were both widows, which meant that they were in deep poverty, completely broke. And this put them in a very dangerous and a very desperate situation. And so we read that after they reached Bethlehem, Ruth said to Naomi in chapter 2, verse 2, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, now what was gleaning? What was Ruth talking about when she said she would go glean among the ears of grain? Well, in the Old Testament, God provided some ways for widows and the poor in Israel to uh, find food. The first was that the farmers in Israel were to follow special guidelines when harvesting their fields. God commanded that they were not to gather the grain on the borders of their fields or to pick up what was dropped during the time of harvest. This would then allow the poor and the widows of Israel to come in and gather what was left behind after the harvesters had gone through the field the first time. We read about this in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, children, some of you are old enough to help with chores around the house. 
And so you might know what it's like to empty uh, socks out of the dryer. If you reach into the dryer and you pull out a big armful of socks, and what inevitably happens? A few socks fall to the ground. Never happened to me where socks did not fall. Right? Something similar happened when the harvesters of Israel were carrying their crops and gathering the crops. Some would fall as they walked. And God's command was, don't pick up what falls. You're to leave that for the poor and the widows that do not have fields of their own to harvest. This command was repeated in Deuteronomy uh, to the second generation of Israel as they were preparing to enter into the promised land. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, verses 19 through 22. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. This is one of the ways that God provided for the widows, the poor, and those who were needy in Israel. The other means that God established was known as the third-year tithe that the people of Israel were commanded to pay. We read about this tithe in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 through 29. That at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. See, loved ones, these were two ways that God instructed Israel to care for the poor and the widows among them. The problem problem was that Israel often sinned against God and disobeyed God's instructions to care for the poor and the widows in their midst in this way. For example, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, the people of Israel were declared guilty of taking advantage of the poor and of the widows among them, and God called them to repentance through the prophet Isaiah. And we know that this same problem continued into Jesus' day because, if you recall, Jesus even warned his hearers to beware of the scribes, who he says, devour widows' houses. See, God had given commands and he had established means for the care of the weakest in Israel, but many of the people in Israel disobeyed these commands. And so, loved ones, we have some idea of the danger and of the desperation that Naomi 
and Ruth faced. You see, this is why the kindness and the generosity that Boaz shows to Ruth is so refreshing. As she now sees the Redeemer's grace, we read in verse 3, So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, that phrase in verse 3, and she happened to come, the uh, NIV translated it, translates it as, as it turns out. That phrase literally means her chance chanced. It's a really interesting emphasis. And the emphasis is on the fact that when Ruth went out that day and as she surveyed the land and considered where she, as this poor, destitute, needy widow, where she would go out to glean, the emphasis here is that she just picked randomly a field to go out into. She herself did not know that the land that she was going to glean and belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech, Elimelech being her late father-in-law. See, loved ones, the emphasis here is on God's mysterious, sovereign providence as he is ordering these events. What Ruth herself saw as random, as chance, the Bible says it was all a result of God's providence. God is here bringing Ruth and Boaz together. He is doing this to show Ruth his grace and provision in her hunger and in her desperation as she is clinging to him, fully realizing that he is the one true God. And God is also going to bring about the marriage of Ruth and Boaz through these events, a marriage that we will see in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth, a marriage that continues the genealogy to the Messiah, to the Lord Jesus. See, loved ones, what God was doing there that day in Boaz's field, he was accomplishing something on a cosmic scale. What for Ruth and for Boaz, and as we'll see later for Naomi, seemed like just a regular event, perhaps a very fortuitous event. God was accomplishing something on a cosmic scale. He was putting together events, ordering events, that would ultimately lead to Christ and to his coming into the world. Sometimes we hear the story of Ruth and Boaz, and you know, it's presented as like just a romance story. We need to see it as so much more, loved ones. The book of Ruth records God's working to bring about the eternal redemption of his people. And so Ruth goes out. She chooses this uh, seemingly random field. And we read that it's Boaz's field, and he returns as she's gleaning. And the servant tells Boaz all about Ruth. 
And here we begin to see the Lord's grace and kindness toward Ruth through this man, Boaz. Remember the question we asked toward the beginning of the sermon. Would Ruth find grace from the Lord through her repentance, after her repentance? We pick up at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what, you have, uh, what the young men have drawn. See, Boaz here insists that Ruth must remain in his field to glean. And we see that he even assures her that he has given his men instruction not to hurt her physically or, or to harass her. And he even provides water for her to drink. As one theologian says about what Boaz does here, he says, Boaz is to Ruth a rock of refuge and living water. Continuing in verse 10, Then Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? What's Ruth doing here? Ruth realizes, loved ones, that she has no status. She has no merit. She has no reason to receive such grace from this man. Continuing in verse 11, but Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Boaz here acknowledges that he knows what Ruth did, that by faith she left Moab, by faith she left her sinful past, and she put her trust in the Lord. Boaz says there in verse 12 that Ruth came to the promised land with Naomi. Why? In order to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. This imagery that Boaz uses is of a mother bird, of a mother bird who uh, spreads her wings over her chicks in order to protect them from danger. The same imagery is used frequently in the Psalms to describe the safety and the protection that God has over his people. We see that Ruth here by faith has come under God's protection. And Boaz, Boaz is the means that God uses to show grace to Ruth and through Ruth to Naomi. Boaz is the means that God uses to reveal his grace. Grace that, as we see, continues to be poured out upon Ruth. 
continuing on at verse 14, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. You see that the gracious provision of Boaz abounds. First, there was permission for Ruth to glean, and then protection, and water, and now there is this satisfying meal, a meal with leftovers. You know, when the Lord Jesus fed the hungry crowds of over 5,000 and then of over 4,000, you know, in both of those accounts where Jesus fed the people, as recorded in Mark's gospel, in both of those accounts, there were leftovers. Children, what does it mean when there are leftovers after a good meal? It reveals the abundance of the meal that was more than you could ever need to be satisfied. What God is doing through Boaz is he is foreshadowing the abundance that Christ will ultimately provide for his people, not just during his earthly ministry, but we know through his uh, redemption. Because Boaz's generosity toward Ruth continues. We read in verse 15, then she rose to glean. And you know, at this point, as one commentator says, Boaz's generosity, his kindness, his grace toward Ruth almost becomes comical as he's, he is just lavishing such generosity upon her. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She brought home that day about 50 pounds of grain, several weeks' worth of food. Now, this was an astonishing, it was a remarkable amount for a poor widow to earn from only gleaning. That's why we need to see, loved ones, that there was more going on here. And when Ruth got home, Naomi recognized that there was more going on. Verse 18, we read, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. See, Naomi was expecting Ruth to return from gleaning with perhaps just a handful of grains, if that. And instead, she returned with an abundance of food. And we are going to consider verses 19 through 23 in greater depth next Sunday, loved ones. But notice, notice this morning that Naomi identifies Boaz. She identifies Boaz to Ruth that he is a redeemer. That Boaz is one of the men in Elimelech's family who has a covenant obligation to take care of his family if something should happen to him. 
as in verse 20 we read, Naomi said to Ruth, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. It was through Boaz. It was through Boaz, this redeemer, that God revealed his grace and his kindness to Ruth. And through Ruth to Naomi, it was abundant grace, loving kindness. It was his hesed, as we will see next week. And loved ones, we too have a redeemer. He is Jesus Christ. He is the greater Boaz. And the good news of the gospel is that when we turn to him by faith, he grants us his abundant grace. Grace that we know is greater than all our sins. Grace that is not just for today and not just for tomorrow, but it is for a lifetime and for eternity. Amen. Let us pray.